Hello and welcome to worship today here at Trinity. My name is Wade Giffen. I'm one of the pastors and I'm so glad you joined us for worship today. We're in our first series of the year called Wrestling with Doubt. The reality is all of us in the spiritual life, all of us on a faith journey, run into these moments of doubt. And they can either trip us up or we can work our way through them and grow in our faith. That's our hope. Thank you. Hey, good morning, church. It is so good to see you. My name is Wade. If we've not met or you're new here, I'm so um, thrilled to be able to be with you today. Uh, you know that we have uh, 16 folks from this church who have been on mission since midweek in Mexico. Uh, had two elements. It had a medical component um, where we had a medical clinic and a construction component, uh, component where work was done to help with people um, in their houses and those kinds of things. And um, they, uh, they crossed the border during the last service, uh, making way to the airport. I keep getting text messages. They, they decided they wanted to start texting me. Te they, essentially, they text bombed me right before I got up to preach in the last service. So uh, it's good to hear from them. And thank you for the ways you've been praying for them, that way you've been supportive of them. Because when any of us is in mission, we are all in mission um, together here from Trinity. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the difficult conversations and the things that we really struggle with, things that make us wrestle with our doubt. And this week is a, it's a big one. Why do the innocent suffer? God, we pray that uh, through uh, any words that I might be able to offer, uh, but mostly because of the meditation of our hearts, that you would find this acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. Many of you know that I was in Chicago for uh, this last week for an annual meeting with what we call the College of Bishops. Um, I serve on a team for our denomination that kind of serves as the staff parish relations committee that we have in Methodist churches, kind of an HR kind of deal. I don't know what you call it, but I get to do that for bishops. And, uh, and we have this meeting the same week every year, and it's always in Chicago. Why Chicago on always the second or third week of January? I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But what that meant was that I flew this week on two airliners, one there and one back. And I was also in the mind space of preparing for this message today on one of probably the most difficult questions of life that often leads to doubt, and that is the question of why do the innocent suffer? And while I was on my flight to Chicago, it, it made me remember something that I used to do when I was an older teenager, probably even young adult when I was flying. For someone who is such an aviation enthusiast, you would think that I have no fear of flying. And I really don't these days, but when I was a teenager and a young adult, I did. So here's the thing I used to do every time I got on an airplane. I would get to my seat, buckle in, and begin to pray. <laughs> now that doesn't seem so unusual, right? I imagine lots of people do that when they fly. What was unusual, perhaps, is what I prayed. I would pray prayers of confession and ask God to forgive me. 
I would start running through my mind trying to think of everything that I could think of where I knew that I had sinned. I would tell God about all of those and then add that little bit and all the other stuff I can't think of right now. Have you done that? And then ask God to forgive me. Why would I do that? Now, I will tell you it's really hard to reveal this, but it's true. I would do that because I didn't want my unresolved sin to lead to a plane crash. Why would I do that? It's pretty disturbing, I know, but it's real. Why did I do that? Because I had been living with an assumption that these things happen, and suffering and sickness and pain because of sin. That tragedy and sickness was punishment for sin. Where did I get that? Well, there was a guy in our home church who used to teach when I was a kid. And he's one of those dudes that always got around to sin would lead to punishment from God. There's one thing I always will remember that he said over and over again. He would say to us kids, do you know why there are so many earthquakes in California? And his response to that always was, because there are so many homosexuals there. You see, that led to a pretty dysfunctional understanding of a cause and effect around sin for me. So why did I tell you this rather personal story? Well, one is because I think there's a lot of people who believe that very same thing. But secondly, maybe if it's not to that extreme, lots of us actually deep down believe a little bit of this, this cause and effect between sin and suffering and tragedy. I do remember one time when I was on a flight, um, something struck me that I hadn't thought about before. After I had finished my wonderful prayer of confession and gotten pardoned from God, I kind of looked around the airplane and I went, oh my God, what if somebody in this plane didn't do the same thing and they have unresolved sin? <laughs> Y'all, that is horrible theology. Can I just name that? But when in doubt and when we don't understand and when we have that doubt, we often have these kinds of things. And on a bigger scale, the world is filled with suffering and tragedy and pain and hunger. I mean, the list goes on and on. Maybe you have that in your life right now. And when there is suffering and tragedy and sickness, we wonder where God is. Why is God not fixing the suffering? Why did God allow this tragedy to happen? Or worse yet, why did God cause this suffering? If God is God of the universe and God is God of love, how can God allow this to happen? Why doesn't God just fix all this stuff so we don't have to suffer? I will tell you that in 36 years of being a pastor, 
I have had those questions asked of me countless times. And you better believe that I've experienced things in my life as a pastor that have been so hard for me to reconcile. And yes, I go through those same kinds of emotions and frustration with God in many of these situations. When these things happen to you, and when I experience them in my own family as well. It's like arriving at a hospital emergency room as parents are being told that their teenage daughter is dead and their teenage son is in the next room and he's fighting for his life after a car crash. The sound of wailing and grief that comes from a mother who hears that news is a sound that is seared in my memory and I will never forget that sound. It's going to children's hospital with a mom and a dad in my church who have a two-week-old son who is not going to live due to genetic anomalies. It's gathering together as many nurses and others and family as I can and ask for a basin for some water to baptize this little boy just before the devices that have been keeping him alive are turned off and then we stand with him until he dies. It's like when one of my sons came to me on a Palm Sunday weekend one year, and he said to me, I can't see anything out of my one eye. And we rushed him to a doctor, and after the doctor did the examination, she feared that he had retinal blastoma, and we needed to get him to a doctor right away in case he had cancer. He didn't have cancer. But what he did have meant that this then 12-year-old boy was going to be blind in one eye for the rest of his life. Yeah, believe me, I have had experiences that have made me struggle and make me reconcile my faith and trust in God in both my pastoral life with you and in my own personal life. So there's got to be some kind of understanding, a better way, and I'm going to try to address that today. The place I want to start is with a little passage of Scripture. And there's something in this Scripture that we often overlook that has a huge impact on today's question. It's over in Genesis chapter 1, right there at the beginning, uh, 27 and 28. Here's, Here's what they say. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and every living thing that comes upon the earth." What do we overlook in this passage with regard to suffering? Something God did right at the beginning. God did not create us and choose to control everything about creation as if we were a bunch of robots moving around the world. God gave us control. And here's the key part of the Genesis text. God told them that their role was to subdue the earth. And have dominion over all living things. What does that mean? 
It is like God created the world in a way that has everything it possibly needs and does everything it's supposed to do in order to sustain life and actually work. And then tossing the keys to all that stuff to this creature called human, which God created. But when God created, we also see in that text, when God created human, God gave, did so in God's own image and likeness. And what that means is that gives us the power, the intellect, and the will to do with the world and do in the world as we choose, without interference from God. We call that free will. God will not interfere with our choices. Why is that so important? Well, one reason is that God created human so that God could have a relationship with this creation. And so God created this creature that was in God's own likeness and image so that God could have an ongoing relationship, so that God could love creation with the hope that creation would love God back. That's why we're here. But there's this important thing about love. It can't be forced. You cannot force someone to love you. Love cannot be legislated by rules or laws. Love has to be a choice. Without free will, there is no freedom to choose love and relationship. Of course, it was a huge gamble on God's part. And yes, that one feature of creating human, I am sure, has been the source of a lot of heartbreak for God. And yes, it has led to lots of suffering and pain and tragedy among the human family. Here's why it's so important to remember that thing God did. When there is suffering and sickness and even tragedy, we often turn first to why God did not do anything in it or, or why God did not change that moment. And we forget to ask the question of what role we humans may have played in that situation. Because God did give us freedom to choose and to do, to act. I mean, I, I know that's, that's true. I mean, here's the example. The, 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 many, the many things that I have heard in funeral homes over the years many of which are just bad theology. By the way, I don't give theology lessons at funeral homes. I wait till later. I've officiated over a 1,000 funerals over the years, so I've got a little bit of experience. Here's some things that I often hear. Well, this was God's will. Have you heard that one? Maybe you've said it. Here's one that I hate. I don't use the word hate very often. Especially, this is the one I hear when it's a teenager or a child who has died. God just needed another angel. Ugh. Or it was a part of God's plan. Or God is in control. Now, all of those are meant with good intention, by good people, to comfort. But those things are just wrong. And rarely do they ever bring comfort. More often, they bring disappointment about God, anger at God, and, of course, doubt about God. 
When we're trying to wrap, uh, unwrap this question we have today about why the innocent suffer, we must understand the power God gave human is also at play. Now, a lot of this comes from a, in, in a lot of Christian circles from a dominant belief that everything is already scripted out in our lives. You know, it's the idea that God has written a complete script for each one of us in every single day of our lives before we were ever born, and God wrote the script, and our, uh, what we simply do is play the part that was written. That God has already written a script that says what restaurant we will go to, who we will marry, what job we will get, what position in society we will either enjoy or not, whether we will be among the rich or among the poor. That's where we get the kinds of things that we say when stuff happens. We want to believe that we're just living in the script. Here's another thing I hear all the time. This is hugely popular right now. Um, have you heard this one? Well, everything happens for a reason. Have you heard that one? Have you said that one? It's okay to say you have. If everything happens for a reason, according to, as we as Christians would say, God's plan, then God has predetermined, predetermined everything that will take place. Every messed up, immoral act, every act of violence, Every inhumane, oppressive, and unjust thing we do, that's what's implied. How does that square with the God of love and mercy we know? Is God okay with cancer? Is God okay with car accidents? Is God okay with racism or child abuse? Is that the kind of stuff God wills and writes into the script? I mean, everything happens for a reason. Does that sound like the God we know and the God of Scripture? That forces us to wrestle with some assumptions that we hold. Assumptions like, well, God is in control. Or God is all-powerful. God is in control and God is all-powerful, yes. But God also relinquished a whole lot of that power to human when God gave it to us when he said, subdue the earth and have dominion over everything, way back there in Genesis. So if God is not promising to protect us from all harm, if suffering is not God's punishment for sin, if suffering is not the will of God, then how do we explain suffering? And where is God when it happens? Well, I'm going to try to take a shot at a little bit of that. The first I've already started, and that's when we look back to the Genesis text, is to consider the suffering that is caused by human activity. It is the actions and the decisions that we make as humans that is often the source of suffering for innocent people. We live in a violent society. And there are a lot of innocent sufferers as a result. I mean, one example is in front of us all the time and we have an issue we have a problem in the United States with gun violence 
We see it in lots of places in a society. It's not unusual for us now to hear about some devastating mass shooting or domestic violence that leads to a death by gun or so-called street violence. I mean, on the matter of mass shootings alone, I looked up some statistics for 2024, 28 days in. Now, this is two days old, so who knows what's happened since then. 71 people have been killed in mass shootings in 2024. 86 have been injured in them, and countless lives have been impacted. Here's a question. How many of those who were impacted would we classify as innocent sufferers? It was not God who put these folks up to to killing 71 and injuring 86 in the last 28 days. And some of those are attributed to mental illness, but most of them are attributed to anger and hate. It's the voices they listen to. It's the ideology to which they adhere and the lies that they internalize. It's the isms we have as humans that often lay at the root of any kind of violence. And here's the point. The result of activity of broken human beings is often the source of innocent people suffering. Is God to blame for those horrible tragedies? Or was God just as heartbroken as we were at those tragic deaths? Then God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. What a huge risk God took when God gave that kind of power and authority to the human creature. And all of these are reflections of our brokenness and our sin as humans and our failure in the job to subdue and have dominion over the creation that God created in the way that God intended for that to happen. Now, sin does cause suffering for sure. Not necessarily this cause and effect that sin suffer, sin suffer, but sin is, is, is living outside of God's ideal. And anytime we find ourselves outside of God's ideal, we will suffer. But sin also causes suffering of the innocent because everything we do, everything we choose, happens in the human family. And when something like that happens in the human family, it affects the whole human family. The alternative is what God really intended. That acts of kindness and understanding, that acts of justice and mercy and love, acts of pursuing things for the common good of all people is what I would imagine God longed for when God gave human dominion. You see, God calls us to be instruments of good. God calls us to do a couple things, and I'm going to give you two direct quotes from our baptism liturgy. God calls us to, one, renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of their sin. You've heard that in here, right? Second one, it's right from our baptism liturgy, to accept the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Can you imagine a world if that was really happening? If we really sought to do that? When humans exercise their own free will 
in acts of violence and sin and oppression and injustice, countless innocent people suffer. All right, you need a break? Let's move on. How about natural disasters? People suffer from those. That's often a question. I'll never forget an argument I had with my insurance agent one time. Uh, I had called her because a limb had fallen out of a tree and had damaged some property in a storm. And one of the first things she said to me is that we would have to determine if it fell into the acts of God clause in my insurance policy. Y'all, do not say that to a theologian. Don't blame God for something that might cost you some of your bottom line. It was not a pleasant conversation, but my property did get covered. Does God control the movement of the tectonic plates? Does God control weather patterns? Does God control Earth's temperatures? In a pre-scientific age, of course people believed that the gods were opening the earth and sending terrible storms or withholding rain. I mean, how else could they explain the strange and at time devastating occurrences that happened in nature? It must be God doing that. But here's the interesting thing. In a scientific age, we still hear that stuff today. I remember hearing people, Christian people, let me say who, during, uh, after Hurricane Katrina, that when it devastated New Orleans, that it was punishment for a number of areas of a sinful part of the earth. And the Christians would say they practice voodoo. So God did that. Were all 1,392 people who died as a result of that storm participating in the so-called sins? Or were there innocent sufferers? among them. You know, our planet is an amazing thing. God wove into this planet all kinds of processes and natural laws. And in the last two weeks, we've named the physics that, that we need for us to actually live and make the world work. All kinds of things that I am not smart enough to even begin to understand. But these very natural laws that are designed to make it work and that the earth can replenish itself bears risks for the humans who live in it. Do you get that? I mean, I don't understand why it has to be this way. But I trust the architect who designed it. And I don't blame the architect of the world as the one who causes natural disasters. They are a part of a fragile ecosystem on which we live and I'm also aware that some of these just might be attributed to the ways in which humans have chosen to exercise dominion over the earth. They happen. What about illness? What about disease? What about death? Well, one of my favorite uh, lines, uh, one of my favorite scriptures is Psalm 139. Maybe you like it too. And there, there are two verses especially that I love, and they go like this. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You've heard me quote that lots of times. Just think about these complex bodies 
of systems and processes that God so masterfully created. And the more we learn about the human body, the more mind-blowing the complexity of our bodies is. I mean, we have all kinds of redundant systems to sustain our lives. Our bodies can heal themselves Broken bones will knit back together. Scratches that bleed today should be pretty much healed over in a week or so. We have cells in our bodies that are always on the attack for a disease or a virus or something that comes to us. And when our bodies can't go it alone, God gave us really smart doctors and therapies to help that system along. I mean, I am totally blown away by some of the modern cancer research and the treatments that we have turned in in this direction around not throwing a bunch of stuff at the cancer, but how can we help the body that already knows how to do that actually take care of the cancer? That just blows my mind. But every once in a while, every once in a while, something happens that triggers a series of events that leads to death. Despite all of the protective systems, besides the procedures and the doctors, it's a disease unto death. And we often forget with that disease all of the zillions of times our bodies were actually healed except one. Mortality is a part of the way the world is the way it was designed. Dr. Dr. Marjorie Suhaki, who I quoted last week, was was writing and reflecting on the death of her 38-year-old son-in-law who died of cancer and left Marjorie's daughter and grandchildren behind. In her reflection, she talked about the reality of mortality, that we all die and no one escapes it. She talked about this misunderstanding that we often hold that the norm is that we would all live to a ripe old age and die quietly and peacefully in our sleep. That's not the norm. She wrote this, The wonder is that given our own fragility and all the illnesses we contract, all but one of these illnesses is reversible. But it is a a given that sooner or later we will each encounter the sickness unto death. Sickness unto death, it comes through accident or through virus or through bacteria or through that one cell that mutated and our body couldn't stop it, its advance, or simply the fact that we will wear down or wear out and die. We enjoy countless miracle cures for countless diseases in our lives except one. We are born into this world, we live a life, and then we return to God. And the length of that middle part, living a life, can be minutes or decades. And sometimes that middle part is impacted by decisions we make about our own health and our own lifestyles and habits. I know I have done things to this body for which someday I might suffer. I also know that I have not done things for this body, for which someday I might suffer. I'm hoping not, praying not, 
But if so, I understand I had a hand in it. And I accept that and try to go differently now, most of the time. And sometimes that middle part is impacted by nothing we did or nothing we didn't do or decisions that we made. But we still suffered. And then we, we have to think about sometimes it was the decisions and actions of other humans that impacted me. For example, the human family has sinned in our misuse of the earth. Toxic creations that we let seep into the ground. I mean, we've all heard those stories where a toxic waste dump gets forgotten that it was a toxic waste dump and a subdivision is built on it. Now, all of a sudden, all the moms have breast cancer. We've, we've heard those stories. It's complicated. But here, I'm here to tell you today that sickness and suffering are not God's will. How do I know that? When God and Jesus saw people who were sick and had diseases, he didn't just dismiss them, well, that's God's will. Everything happens for a reason. He stopped and he healed them because he wanted us to see what God's will actually is. And sometimes the ultimate healing comes when we leave this earth. Death is also healing. So where is God when suffering happens? If God is not causing our suffering or pain, where is God? Fundamentally, y'all, God is with us. God desires to accompany us in our suffering. So much so that God showed us that when God came right to us in Jesus, Jesus entered our world. He entered our reality. Jesus walked with us. He healed the sick. He bound up broken hearts and still does that today. He didn't promise to suspend laws of nature. He didn't promise to protect us from people who might cause harm and suffering to us. He promised that whatever happened, he would be with us. He provides people who can come alongside and care for us. He also calls us to care for those who suffer and those who are in need. To be his hands and feet and voice to help alleviate suffering. That's what 16 people from this congregation have been doing in the last three and a half, four days in Mexico. He calls on us to alleviate suffering. You know, when he said that bit, when he said, just as you did it to, the, to, to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it also to me. And here's one thing I know to be true from the life that I've lived. Although God does not cause the suffering we may experience, he forces good to come from it. It's kind of like that thing the Apostle Paul said when he wrote to the Roman church, when he said, we know that how many things? All things. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that one bit of good that God makes in suffering, that is an opportunity for deeper faith. Paul also wrote in the same letter, he said, suffering produces endurance. And y'all, those people were suffering. Why were they suffering? They were suffering because they were following Jesus. You would think if anybody could get spared suffering, it would be that gang trying to start the Jesus movement, right? But no, 
They had suffering. And Paul said, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Suffering can cause great doubt. I know that. And that's okay to have doubt. It's what we do with it that matters. Do we choose in the midst of suffering to turn away from God or turn toward God? And it's not something we can do right away sometimes. It takes time. But y'all know this for sure. God walks with us. God loves us. God seeks to comfort us. God uses people to comfort us. And God wants to use us when other people suffer. God calls us to live in such a way that our actions and decisions don't cause an innocent person to suffer. You see, suffering does not get the final word. God does. And God forces good from all things. We have the reminder of Easter when God declared through the resurrection of Jesus that sin and pain and suffering, and even death do not get the final word. God does. And I trust God for that promise, maybe especially when the innocent suffer. Will you pray with me? God, we are thankful that you are as close to us as every breath we breathe. And that when we go through the fire and we walk through the valley of the shadow of death we fear nothing we fear no evil because you are with us it's hard for us to understand oh god that that we will experience suffering and pain and tragedy in the world in which we live but we trust the one who made the world and we trust your presence even in our suffering God, as we come to the end of this service of worship, we pray that you would help us do something. Help us as followers of Jesus to not be using our free will in ways that will make others suffer. In the obvious outward ways and in ways that we may not even notice right away, that all your children, may know and live in what you will for us. It's in the strong and powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So thank you for joining us in worship today and for being on this journey wrestling with doubt. I hope and trust that the conversations we've had over the last four weeks have been helpful and useful to you in your journey of faith. If you haven't been able to catch some of those weeks, they're all on the church website, and you can go back and pick them up as well. So thanks for being on the journey. Thanks for being in worship today. We'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, God bless you. See you next Sunday.